Is he a symbol or is he a man, I guess? And, and I th they always think he's a symbol and he knows otherwise. What's up, Story Geeks? It's Daryl. We are geeks. We admit it. We own it. We love it. You know that whole spiel. We love science fiction, fantasy, and comic books, which is why we like to dig deeper into the characters, plot lines, and themes that appear in geek stories like Captain America in the MCU. Yes, that's right, ladies and gentlemen. It's going to be a good one. I'm Jay, and Daryl and I would love for you to join our conversation. Leave us a comment on our blog, Podbean, or YouTube, or send us an email at thestorygeeks at gmail.com. And really quick, before you forget, click the subscribe button and let us know you're listening by commenting or shooting us, shooting us an email. We would love to meet you electronically. Thanks for listening in. The Story Geeks podcast is produced by the Reclamation Society. That's right. And as I mentioned, what we're talking about today is Captain America. And we're going to talk about his character journey throughout the entire Marvel Cinematic Universe. So we're really excited about this. But we are even more excited about our guest today. So we have a very special guest joining us and a big Captain America fan. Uh, we have Helen O'Hara, who is a writer for Empire Magazine, editor-at-large in Empire Magazine, and the geek queen from the Empire podcast. Helen, thank you for joining us. <laughs> Hello. Nice to be here, virtually speaking. <laughs> virtually speaking, yes. So first of all, I just want to... I, I feel like I know where we all stand on Captain America, <laughs> but I just want to go ahead and and get a pulse on it. So... <laughs> Helen, why don't you start us off and just give us overall, how, what are your feelings towards Steve Rogers in the MCU? Um, they, they are extremely positive. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, no, I, I honestly, he's my favorite MCU character. There was a, there was a moment after the first Avengers where, where Rafa Hulk uh, put up a good fight, but, but really, I think it's Steve Rogers all the way. I just, I, I think in modern filmmaking, um, for very good reasons, there's been kind of a move away from good guys to complicated guys. And often I find that incredibly, I, I think that's become boring in turn, basically. And I like that these films have a good guy and then they really test him. And, and I think that works for me. I think it's just really, really interesting storytelling and it works really well. Totally. Yeah. What do you think, Jay? Uh, he's definitely in my top tier. I don't know if I can say he's my favorite. I have a hard time choosing favorites, if I'm being honest. Because like, I made a whole list of characters. <laughs> I'm like, uh, I think Rocket Raccoon is probably my favorite, favorite character. Yeah. But uh, Star-Lord, Iron Man, Captain America, Nakia, T'Challa, Spider-Man, like those are all my top tier. I'm going to go to those first. But he's in there. I mean, he's he's a great character. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I got to side with Helen. He's definitely my favorite Favorite of favorites. Well. Favorite of favorites. Nice. I feel like he is my my window into the MCU, sort of. Like, I most enjoy the MCU based on how things affect him. Yeah. Ah. So you And, and you love the Russo brothers, who have mostly just, handled yes. his character all the way through, basically, yes. right? So that makes a big difference, too. Yes. I do love the Russo brothers, and I love Joss Whedon. Yeah. Yes. So it's all good. I think I'm, like, the only geek not josh whedon fan <laughs> i think Wait. i'm the only one that exists in the universe is that allowed is that okay i, I don't think it is we I don't think it is we we give him grace because he started the podcast so you know okay yeah well let's take a let's take a walk movie by movie so just real quick we'll go through each of the the movies that captain america has been in except for his quick little cameo in thor the dark world we'll leave that one out but okay um although it was i fun. just want it was fun, although technically not him, huh? Because it was Loki. Technically true, yes. Yeah. 
Um, so let's just talk through each of these movies. And I just, I'm curious what you guys would see as kind of the guiding theme for Steve in each of these movies. Mm-hmm. And we'll just kind of get a, a high level overall arc for him. So Jay, I'll go to you first this time. What do you see in him from Captain America, the first Avenger? Uh, I just watched this yesterday in prep for this podcast. And you I, loved it. I loved it. That movie is done so well. It has such a great style to it. I, I, that's a really great movie. Um, he's dedicated. He's so dedicated. He he stands up for the little guy, which in turn means standing up for himself. Um, I'm inspired by the Steve Rogers of this film. There's, it's hard not to be. He will. He's willing to do whatever it takes, even if he doesn't have the ideal resources. And I think they show his ingenuity because there's the scene where uh, they're on their jog, and you're supposed to get the, the flag, and no one's gotten the flag down in 17 right. years, and everyone else tries to climb it. And he just comes out and pulls the pin and knocks it over, and so he's... He's super intelligent, too. Um, and, you know, I feel like in the modern world, there's a lot of people who are willing to talk the talk but are unwilling to walk the walk. But Steve <laughs> Rogers does both. Like, he's all in. And I just love that. So um, I think that the writers and, and the Rousseau brothers have really captured the spirit. Whether or not it's 100% true, and I don't think it probably is, but they've captured the spirit of what we would call the greatest generation. They've mm-hmm. captured that spirit in Steve Rogers, and he's like kind of most of the positive things of that generation. Um, but it's cool. He's humble. He's a hard worker. He's respectful. Uh, he's also simple and traditional, which can cause problems we'll talk about later. Yeah. Um, I think it's a metaphor for what America would like to be seen as and what we would hope we really truly were, uh, the United States at least. Um, and Steve Rogers is sort of the embodiment of that. now. That's probably, like I said, not really what it was, but it's at least what they're trying to portray through the character. So that's great. Cool. What do you think, Um, Ellen? Yeah, I I actually agree on most of that. And I think it's interesting in that respect of his character, what's happened to him in later films. But we'll get to that. Um, I I think I really like that that scene with the flag, actually. And I'm really glad you brought that up because it, it actually, for me, says something else about his character, which is that he is, he's not a sort of, he's, he's, I guess a goody two-shoes in many, many ways, but he's not a teacher's pet. He's not actually looking for approval. You know, he doesn't care about that game. And I think that's really interesting. You know, he gets to a point where he's obviously far behind everybody else on this run. You know, he's determined to be in the army. He wants to prove himself, but he doesn't want to prove himself that much. And he will take this shortcut Hmm. that that they have left open for him. And I think that's just, it's a really nice little moment that sort of, you know, does kind of say this is not a guy who will put up with being barked orders at, you know, mm. and he won't simply just roll over because you tell him to. He'll roll over if, if he thinks it needs to be done. Um, he's a very, very independent minded and very stubborn character, which I possibly identify with a bit too much. But also, just, <laughs> <laughs> I also think it, you know, again, it's it's something that we you know, aspire to be when we're in the right. He will listen if you tell him he's wrong. He listens to Black Widow at the beginning of Civil War, but he won't, he will make up his own mind after that. And, and I really, really like that about him. And I, I mean, for the first Avenger, I, I've said on the Empire podcast a number of times, it is the most underrated Marvel movie by a long shot. Um, for me, it's in the yeah. top five. It really, really is. And it gets better on every viewing. And I go back and watch it if I don't have anything else on, you know, 
Like, what yeah. shall I watch tonight? It's one of those movies, like the Indiana Jones movies or the Star Wars movies or whatever, or The Princess Bride, that I can just pick up and, like, if if I need a good movie after a bad day, that is one of the ones I will go to because it just has that heart and it has that uh, humour and just this great character at the, at the heart of it that makes you think, okay, everything is maybe going to be okay. I love Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Totally, yeah. It's the same way for me. I'll go back and watch it too. And you guys said all the great stuff. The only other thing <laughs> I would add is I feel like one of the reasons I go back and watch it and I feel like my love for that movie increases over time is it's set up a foundation that all of the other mm-hmm. movies refer back to and pull from very strongly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I feel like every time we get another cat movie, that one, the original one looks better. I think um, that's down to having the same writers across all three movies, because I think mm. um, Marcus and McFeely, Christopher Marcus and Stephen McFeely, have done an astonishing job with those oh, films, and a really underrated one. And, <laughs> and they've obviously, you know, they're getting a lot of rightfully praise now for, for Avengers Infinity War, but they, you know, they've been working their way up to that. And, um, and I think it, it, it gives that character a, a more cohesive development maybe than than some of the others in the mcu because they've always kind of been there as a bit of a, a guiding light not in the not in the avengers movies but obviously joss knew what he was doing with the first one and uh and the second and uh and then obviously by the third one you know they'd taken over yeah <laughs> so <it's fine. laughs> absolutely well let's take a let's take the shift and move into the modern day and talk about the avengers so helen why don't you start us off on this one how do you see him in the first avengers movie well, this is him really struggling to adjust a little bit. And, and it, it goes to his stoicism, I guess, that he's still standing in this movie. And, and I think he, there's a part of him that doesn't want to be, which you sometimes see kind of peek through. You know, um, he, he's, not, he's not at ease with having lost his entire world, um, you know. And I think th- there's a little bit of that there underneath all the heroism that he obviously goes on to do because because that's what needs to be done um i i really like the way they build up the relationships in this movie i really like his sort of open disapproval of tony and yet the kind of understanding that this guy has skills that are useful um so there's just a brilliant they walk brilliantly between mutual respect and mutual loathing in a way that i think is wonderful and of course built up to civil war um and and yeah, it just I, I just think that that film, I just love the balance of the characters. I love their interplay. I would and again, I'm sorry, I'm repeating myself, I've said this on the Empire podcast, <laughs> I know. I would absolutely happily watch those characters sit around a table for two hours and just talk. Like oh, sure. you know. I <laughs> don't need shawarma. the action. I don't need the action in that movie. I would watch the shawarma, really. Totally. Yeah, no, I agree. Their their interplay is so good. What do you think about Avengers, Jay? I haven't I haven't watched the film in a while, so the only thing I, I would I would say that I could pick up on based on what Helen said, even about the first movie, was that was that stubbornness. He has this sort of um, inherent value system that he is driven by, and he is very convinced that that value system is right and appropriate. And he does take a little time to see that it see whether or not it's right and appropriate given different time periods. Yeah. But he always kind of goes back to it. He always falls back into it. And I, and I love what you said, Helen, about like, yeah, he listens. But if it's if it if the other value system that's being um, uh, spoken to him doesn't equal yeah. his value system, he's like, nope, that's not it. <laughs> <laughs> so that's the only thing I would add. 
Absolutely. The, the line, um, there's only one God and he doesn't dress like that, yeah. I think is, is a nice demonstration of exactly what you're saying. Yeah. yeah. And even just throwing the word ma'am into that too, yeah. I think says a lot about him. It yeah. does. But yeah, I like his stubbornness too. I like that, you know, he's the man out of time. They bring him 70 years into the future and he's not like super naive and just you know, giddy at all this crazy futuristic stuff he sees. He's still mm-hmm. himself and he's taking everything in cautiously. Yeah. And I love sure. that he, I mean, I don't know exactly how much time passes over the course of that movie. It doesn't seem to be a lot, <laughs> maybe a couple of days. Uh, <laughs> this is, this is an ongoing discussion. In the you, I know. Yeah. The, <laughs> uh, I mean, yeah. the timeline is a nightmare. Not least Is it a couple of, of days or is it two years? Exactly. There's that throwaway <laughs> yeah. line in Spider-Man about it being eight years. And then yeah. they've recorrected, they've corrected again with six years, uh, Tony's line in infinity war. Yeah. Uh, which I th- I think is Marcus and McFeely's opinion of how long it's been. I think they're going with the original idea. <laughs> yeah. um, and you're on that side too, right? I am very much on that side. I think yeah, the I Spider-Man too. thing was a was a mistake. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but but which yeah, leave it, leave it to the half Sony movie to make the mistake. <laughs> <laughs> but honestly, I, I think I I do think that he is quite recently arrived in uh, in Avengers. I do I do think that's probably right. Yeah, and and what I was getting at too is he doesn't spend a whole lot of time with these characters, mm-hmm. but over the course of the movie, he goes from not knowing anybody at all to being really ingrained with them and really caring about them. And and Jay, I know you're not the Joss Whedon fan, but I think that speaks so well to how Joss Whedon can handle an ensemble. Well, he is. I mean, uh, so when I say that, that's more of a of a subjective thing than yeah. an objective thing. I think, for, objectively, he handles an ensemble better than most would ever handle it. Yeah, um, he's one of the best. So, okay. Well, let's talk about my very favorite MCU movie, Amen. Captain America: Winter Soldier. <laughs> <laughs> is it your favorite too, Helen? It is. Yeah, it's number one. Okay, cool. Well, we'll let you start us off here then. <laughs> How do you see Cap in that one? Um, I think uh, you, you come into him and he's kind of in a, I guess, a kind of cautious place uh, in that he's still, he's studying the world, like conscientiously, like the good student. He's trying to learn what he's missed. He's trying to fill in the gaps. He's trying to, you know, adjust to this new reality. Um, it's interesting, though, his apartment is still very old school. So he's not entirely at home in the modern world. You know, he still has a record player. So character-wise, it's, it's really it's really nice uh, the way they've done that. Uh, but he is at home in, in incredibly well with his body, uh, in a way. So what I mean by that is, you kind of saw it even in the first Avenger, you know, he'd spent three years at war or whatever. But he literally now just casually jumps out of a plane with no parachute. Like, it's not yeah, a big deal. Right. He, knows, he knows his own capabilities. He kind of, you see a bit more of his sense of humor with the sort of just messing with Falcon when he meets mm-hmm. Sam just oh, yeah. on your left on your yeah. left yeah over and over um and 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 yet he feels incredible kinship with soldiers suffering PTSD because it's clear that that is part of him as well and he, he kind of understands where they're coming from and I don't think he literally has PTSD but he he understands the same experience you know um so I think it's it's a it's a really again great piece of characterization. I love in that film how he and Sam are basically like a couple in a rom com. 
Like they have the meet <laughs> yeah. cute and they have the sort of, oh, I, I, I need to come stay at your place, you know, for reasons, <laughs> because of stuff. And then the, the bigger story of the film, well, the, the two bigger stories, you've got the this massive conspiracy at the heart of government. You've got, you know, what I kind of alluded to at the start. What does that, if he is the embodiment of what America wants to be, what does this film say about where America is? Like right. it's, politically, this is a huge film, um, mm. which I think, you know, sometimes doesn't get maybe enough credit. Um, but then also you've got the personal thing, you've got Bucky. And I think, I mean, you know, you can read that very much as a love story as well. And I, I think a lot of people have, and I actually wouldn't argue with any of them. <laughs> I think, you know, their, their connection is really powerful, but it also 100% works as just, this is his last connection to his past. This is the last piece of his life that is left to him. And if he mm. can save Bucky, then maybe he can make this new world work, maybe together two people is enough to kind of adjust to the craziness of the 21st century. Mm. You know, I just, I think there's, there's, there's a lot going on in that movie. And I just think all of it just sings. I also, by the way, I, I know I'm droning on, but I also love his friendship with Black Widow in that movie. I love that it's not yeah. of interest. I, I think love that's the best use of her in any of those movies. A hundred percent. Like it is head and shoulders above even Avengers. It is so good. And it's just so rare, even now in a movie to see, a man and a woman working together, respecting each other as colleagues, but not in some kind of moonlighting X-Files, you know, love affair thing. <laughs> right, exactly. Um, and I, I just, you know, I have that in my life with so many people. And I just, I really like to see it reflected as a normal thing that happens. Because when Harry met Sally, only goes so far. And I think you can be friends <laughs> with the opposite sex. And, it, and this is just a really good example of it. Totally. Hmm. What do you think about that one, Jay? Yeah, I think we may have come across a new fan theory that uh, Captain America's character journey is from like old time 1940s to hipster with his record player and beard. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I think that's a terrible theory. Um, but uh, no, I think everything Helen said was right on. I, I, my, my major category here was loyal. And was, mm. I, I think loyalty comes from actually... Uh, three different places in this film, and Helen actually addressed one that I didn't, that I wasn't seeing. But now that I, now that she's talked about it, I'm like, oh yeah, it fits that category too. And that is that loyalty to Bucky, yeah, yeah, uh, loyalty to his again his principles and his value system, yeah, and then loyalty to what he wants America to actually be, yeah. Um, right. And that's the one that Helen picked up on that I didn't have in here, but that that political piece of that is so true, yeah. Um, we've, it's sort of like he's saying you've lost what was supposed to be America and you're off on a different trail. And so I'll call myself Captain America, but it's the America I want, not the America you're creating. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which I think is really cool. So I think one of the things that, that plays off that plays into his character so well in this film, particularly is that most people that you encounter on a daily basis who are highly principled. Um, which, by the way, as a side note, tends to make you highly hypocritical. But besides that, um, the oh, people that are harsh. highly, yeah, I know, <laughs> I know. Well, I point that I point that figure at myself even. Um, but p people that are like super highly principled don't tend to have as much compassion for other people. In other words, yeah. they usually have this set of principles that's like these are the rules that must be followed. Oh you know? yeah, okay, I get right. It. Yeah, but like, but. But Cap does not have that. Yeah. Cap has yeah. Cap has uh, his principles only make sense in so much as they would help other people, like yeah. Bucky. And I think yeah. that's what's really cool about his character 
far and above all the other things is that he can be highly principled, but he can he knows that he's seeing those principles through the through the the viewpoint of people, not through just principle for principle's sake. Yeah, so. I see what you're saying. I think I think you're right. Like if if you combine principles with empathy or with with sympathy for other people, yes, um, because so I mean, okay, my background may be relevant to my whole cap love. My dad is a social worker and he worked with abused kids for 27 years. that's his job now i cannot imagine like not breaking down in that job after about a day and a half like that is just (laughs) so beyond me and and yet he and all his colleagues that's what they did for you know decades and so i do believe very much in the existence of goodness you know Mm, uh in the old-fashioned kind of moral sense um and i think it's nice to again to see that on screen to see a guy who doesn't need to be prodded into action by you kidnapping his whoever you know he'll just go into action because somebody needs to do the right thing i just yeah, yeah. I love that yeah, and i, I think totally it's also good. it's really interesting that in this film he's working for a, a, essentially a spy organization which is just the worst possible use of <laughs> of this guy you know he's so ill-suited to be a spy he barely lies he really really bends over backwards <laughs> to avoid lying in this movie and uh so it's just it's a really tricky position to put him in in a way all of those public service announcements in spider-man make much more sense for him as a character oh yeah <laughs> so, <laughs> true. so funny yeah yeah, it's it, it is true. Like he he is in these earlier films, he is often misused because they also create a super soldier and then have the soldier go around like trying to motivate the troops in the in the. True. The first film. Yeah, you're yeah. right. And it's just yeah. kind of like, why would you do that? You created a super soldier. <laughs> it's just so weird. But it, but it's because that his agenda may not fit into the overarching agenda, and it's like, mm. fine, then just shove him in somewhere else. Yeah. And we'll just try yeah. and use him where we can. Is he a symbol or is he a man, I guess? And, yeah. and I think they always think he's a symbol and he knows otherwise. Yeah, right. exactly. And I think that's one of the greatest things about the Winter Soldier is I think it humanizes his character and mm-hmm. maybe humanizes a superhero better than any movie I've ever seen humanize a superhero. Yeah. Yeah. Be- because like you, you talked about his apartment and his record player and those those seem like not big details, but... It shows us what it kind of looks like when a superhero is not out saving the world, but just living his life. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's really interesting. Yeah. It is really Absolutely. good. I, I think, I mean, he is essentially the MCU's Superman. Obviously not in terms of powers. He's not anywhere close. Right. But just in terms of that kind of moral compass and that guide. And what, and this is in contrast to the current DCEU Superman, who I don't think has got <laughs> right. that moral agenda. But, you know, yeah. to what he's the Christopher Reeve Superman. And that is honestly the closest mm. comparison, I think, for him. Um, yeah. And I think that's what Wonder Woman realized that that worked and used that as their model as well. And of course, it paid off brilliantly in that film too. Oh yeah, yeah. Okay, let's move on to Age of Ultron. Jay, why don't you start us off on this one? How do you see Steve in Age of Ultron? This is where I think Steve is is finally becoming comfortable with his position on the team, um, mm-hmm. in my opinion. So this is what I would call him being a capable, confident leader. Um, he doesn't, I think that his confidence shows up most often when others start to make fun of him as a traditionalist. So even in the, in, in the opening, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so, but what he does, what he does, and this, what makes him so capable and also so confident in his position is that he basically just acknowledges it. Yep. I'm old school, but he's like, <laughs> I still have, I still have the knowledge to take us where we need to go. Mm. So yes, I'm old school and yes, you can make fun of me about that, but I'm not backing down off where we're going here. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that that's really cool. I think his leadership traits are really strong. Everybody on the team respects him, even Stark, who basically is trying to compete with him in many, <laughs> many ways, yeah. still respects him. Yeah. Um, I do think so, though, we are starting to see in Age of Ultron, we're starting to see the seeds of what will drive a wedge between Steve and Tony, mm-hmm. because that traditionalist viewpoint starts to clash with Tony's more progressive viewpoint, um, which then sets up the next film. So, yeah. Yeah. What do you think, yeah. Alan? I agree. I think there's actually relatively little Steve, I think, in Age of Ultron in terms of character development. There's a lot of him leading this, the team. Mm. And you're like, yeah, I buy that. Who else, who else are these guys going to consistently listen to? And, and this and it plays into this idea of him as a not just a symbol, but, a, you know, as someone who's earned that place among them. He's not just it's not just that they've got stars in their eyes like Coulson did in the first Avengers. They, they know that he can lead them as a team. And it is interesting. I think that he is a soldier. He's not a vigilante. He's not somebody who, Mm. you know, started off working on his own. He's always been at the head of a team. Um, So apart from that first mission, you know what I mean? Anyway, uh, but, (laughs) but I think so that comes across really well in in this one. And he kind of gives people pep talks and he assembles information and he, you know, he, he kind of gives the orders. The language thing is interesting because he's actually quite potty mouthed by the standards of the <laughs> 1940s. Like, <laughs> damn is a swear word, you know, and he That's says true. it a lot. So, yeah, it's it was kind of fun, but it's it's a funny joke, so I don't care. What I do love in this film is that he he shifted Mjolnir. I, I think that is fantastic. Yeah. Um, mm. And there was a little quake there, and if, and there's sort of uh, theories online, conspiracy theories that he realized it moved and stopped. I don't think that's the case, but it is interesting that there was just that little oh, moment. Yeah. yeah, that is cool. That is a great moment in that film. Yeah, and I love the the look of insecurity you get from Thor on that. Yes. He's <laughs> like, oh, no, nothing. <laughs> Someone has to be able to shake Thor's confidence, you know, and yeah. it's kind of right that it should be Cap. Totally. Yeah, I think Age of Ultron sees him become the leader, and one of my favorite things in Age of Ultron is just you really start to see his lack of patience for mm-hmm. for anything that kind of goes against his ideals and even in mm-hmm. little moments like at the beginning when he's standing in front of um oh shoot i forgot the guy's name strucker when oh, he's yeah. standing in front of baron strucker and he's like um i forget what the words are but basically what strucker tries to say something and then cap just kicks up the shield knocks him in the head and knocks him <laughs> out and he's like i don't even have time for your conversation like i love little things like that mm-hmm I mean, it's the right response to Nazis, isn't it? You know? <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Especially Nazis with cosmic weaponry. and <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. Um, and it really sets up also the seed for a much bigger lack of patience that you see in Civil War. So let's move yeah. on to that one there. Helen, why don't you tell us how you feel about that one? Um, I think uh, I, I was lucky enough to be on set of this and was essentially geeking oh, out man. the entire time. It was amazing. <laughs> oh, my gosh. That'd be awesome. Um, but uh but no what, what, i what were you there for do you remember like what scene uh, they were shooting? i absolutely do i was actually under the olympic stadium in berlin which is pretty you know hefty with symbolism in itself like that's where hitler held his olympics and where jesse owens proved him wrong about everything oh yeah um but but we were actually underground there and that's where if you remember martin freeman's elliot ross took delivery of bucky basically when uh-huh. they were brought into uh, his task force so i was basically there for that scene uh, which involved quite a lot of sweary outtakes um and uh <laughs> i was there then for black panther's confrontation or meeting with um with black widow where his bodyguard threatened to beat her up 
oh, if you remember. Man. So that was pretty cool as well. So it was a really good day. But um, anyway, leaving aside my personal history uh, with the film, which is <laughs> very exciting to me, if no one else. I mean, you um, have to sit back and think I have the coolest job in the world. When you I that. really, <laughs> right? I genuinely, I, mean, I do know this. Like, I can only complain about any aspect of my job to other people who do the same job. Because <laughs> um, but, uh, but no, I think this is just a terrifically meaty, uh, detailed, interesting film. And again, you know, they're, they're just digging so deep into this character. And what they're doing is what they always do, which is they get this good guy and then they put him in a situation with no right answer. Um, at least as far as most people are concerned. And there's no easy answer is probably the better way of saying it. He figures out what he thinks is the right answer. And then, of course, it just hurts everyone to do it. Um, which is the which is the problem he has to put up with for the, for the rest of the film really, um, but I think it's it's a build on everything he's had with Tony, you know from from the beginning. It's a beginning of their confrontations over you know who's essentially Howard Stark's favorite son. Um, mm. It's a build of the, his his haranguing of Tony in Age of Ultron for his irresponsibility in not only creating Ultron but then trying again which is a crazy response in, in many ways. Um, and then in this one, you know, he's learned through the Winter Soldier not to trust big government, essentially. And he's told you're going to be essentially shackled to big government. You're going to be ordered what to do and you're not going to be allowed to do anything if it falls outside that. And that is essentially what we've seen across all of his performances, him rejecting. You know, he's like, you know, I will follow orders as long as I believe them to be right. I mean, this is this is a guy who fought the Nazis. The Nazi defense was, I followed orders. It, yeah. it, that can never be his defense. He always has to, you know, ha at least have a belief that he's doing the right thing. So, yeah, again, it's just, it's just, it's a big family drama by this point, you know, because you've gotten to know and love all of these characters and they're all carrying around this baggage. I mean, by this point, Tony has PTSD ever since the Battle of New York and we've seen that develop through Iron Man 2 and 3 with his obsessive, you know, suit development and his obsessive kind of need to protect everybody all the time. And Steve is like, okay, but that's not freedom. It's it's a really, it's a massively post 9-11 movie. Do we want oh, freedom yeah. or do we want security? Do you want ideals or do you want, you know, I don't know, safety? Mm, it's, yeah. it's a, or some semblance of safety at least. It's a, it's a very, it's a very meaty film, I think. Yeah. For sure. Yeah, I think that's brilliant. I mean, um, the the basic premise here is, you know, I think it's so interesting to see Tony's character in, in Civil War because mm -hmm. Tony, especially if you include some of the comics where it shows some more of his alcoholism. Yeah. Because Tony is a guy who basically can't trust himself. Yeah. yeah. And so in the event that he can get some accountability from even a, even a very controlling accountability, he kind of jumps at that chance because he goes, well, maybe if there's more people that have accountability over me um, that I can kind of maintain my balance. Yeah. And good then you point. see. Yeah. And you see and you see kind of like Captain America is kind of rejecting that. <laughs> right. <'Cause> <laughs> yeah. like, No, no. I you know, I, I have I know what we need to be focused on. And it's not and especially it's not being controlled by what I would call not American traditional values. Mm. So kind of the label I had for um, for Cap in this film is sort of like a rebel traditionalist. Um, <laughs> he's like, I'm a traditionalist and I'm rebelling against the, this form of progression. Yeah. There's a way for us to progress, but it's not this way. And I reject the way that you're, we're, we're trying to accomplish this. So 
I really it's think cool. I really think Captain America would love Hamilton. yeah just thought i'd throw that in there but i do think he'd really he'd really chime with that well and you're right is on broadway now too right so there's a a little that all ties in (gasps) (laughs) all the pieces matter that's right yeah i i mean this is my second favorite mcu film so Mm -hmm. i love the heck out of this one clearly i have a russo brothers trend yeah in my fandom which i'm proud of they're just Um, so good oh yeah and I love that all this stubbornness and all of him, you know, being unwilling to move, I love that a lot of it is just tied to his friend. Mm-hmm. I love how important the people he cares about are to him and how far he will go to protect them. Yeah. I think that's awesome. I, I think that applies to Tony as well. I think not telling Tony about Bucky was an attempt to protect Tony to an extent. Yeah, Because um, sure. I don't think he knew for sure. I mean, he saw what we saw in the winter soldier so he saw at least a suggestion that hydra were responsible and having learned that the winter soldier was hydra's premier assassin and got that file at the end of the winter soldier he probably figured out it was bucky who was responsible for that death but i mean aside from the utility of i don't want to start anything between my two friends i think there's also an element of why reopen this for tony like he is he is not a uh, cap himself or steve himself is not a guy who particularly holds grudges who particularly you know um acts out that way so why would it help tony to know this it wouldn't therefore i won't tell him i think there's an element of that in there um and then i mean i've again i'm a trained lawyer i've talked about this on the empire podcast but bucky is not a murderer um bucky is essentially a prisoner of war mm-hmm, um, yeah. who's just never been able to get free he's been programmed to act a certain way um and he didn't have he as a personality certainly in the way we're presented it did not have the intention to to kill the starks so why would why would steve bring that up what's to be gained from it for anyone involved you know um but it does lead to some unfortunate situations <laughs> and that's oh that's see i've i've never thought of that before him being a prisoner of war but that makes a lot of sense and it makes a lot of sense for who ends up on cap's side mm-hmm. in that movie because a lot of those people on his side are people that have experienced some form of war hmm. like that Sam. is very true yeah, yeah. So that's interesting. Yeah, and I think too um, that this is the case where you see that Cap is so focused on the human beings behind what's happening. Like this is the key thing. Like he can look past the fact uh, of what Bucky had done because he's able to empathize with what Bucky had experienced. That's causing yes. Bucky to do those actions. Yes. Um, and so this is him saying, cause he never, he never says, well, that's okay. Oh no. It, right. Like he doesn't make, it's not like he's making an exception and saying, well, no, it's okay if Bucky does that. Cause he's my friend. Yeah. He's not doing that. He's going, no, no, no. I know my friend and my friend would not have done this. And yeah. by the way, I've uncovered evidence that he really didn't do it. Yeah. He's just a tool. Yeah. Um, that was really cool, the way they played that out. Yeah. Yeah, it really was. And I lo- this is not specifically about Cap, but I've always loved the, Civ- the Civil War movie so much because it's such a brilliant adaptation of a comic. Mm-hmm. Because to make everything, to make the crux of it all about Bucky. And yes. <laughs> something to do with him is brilliant because that's, uh, that's, off, that's not what starts the war in the comic. That's a whole different thing. But yeah, yeah. 
it captures the spirit of the comic perfectly and makes it relevant to what they've already built. And I think it's masterful. I love it. I a hundred percent agree. Um, okay. So let's hit the last representation we've got of cap in the MCU. Now, not a whole lot of him in this one, but let's talk about <laughs> infinity war. So yeah. what do you think, Helen? It needed more cap and it particularly oh, needed more of his beard, which is magnificent. Um, <laughs> but I, I think, no, I mean, he really is a very supporting player in this one. We didn't get to see the scene between him and Tony. We didn't get to see the scene between Natasha and Bruce. I feel like I don't want to get too far into spoilers. I don't know how sp- how much we're assuming here of people's knowledge, but I oh, feel like they're very away. much okay. Good. <laughs> yeah. So they're basically they're saving people know all what those. We do. It's okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they're they're saving all those big scenes for the next one. I think. I mean, yeah. that's that's got to be that's going to be the meat uh, the emotional meat of, of a lot of the film next time. Um, and I'm, I'm very excited to, to see both of those. But what I think is good here is that you see him. It was a real nod to the comic fans who, who loved the nomad storyline. Like this is yeah. a very clear callback to that. This is a very clearly a captain. Or the America secret Avengers is, as the Russo brothers have referred exactly. to it too. Yeah. yeah. This is a cap who is off the map, who is underground, who is, you know, just just kind of has kind of turned his back on an America that didn't live up to his ideals, perhaps, yeah. or certainly, a, you know, a situation that didn't. But he's left that lifeline with Tony, you know, because um, he can't bring himself to walk away completely because that wouldn't be responsible. It wouldn't be the right thing to do. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I love it. I love the, the mutual respect that's built between him and T'Challa, which I think is, is so good to see. Um, and, and hints at some kind of connections there during those two years. Um, I love that he and Black Widow are still friends um, and he and Falcon, you know, are still reliant on each other. Yeah. And I, yeah, I mean, it was all good what was there. I just think we needed vastly more of it. I agree. I would actually, I would kill to see a movie about what they were up to in the meantime. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh, I want to see that so bad. Probably just two hours of them eating shawarma again. Like <laughs> there you genuinely. go. That's Once all again, we need. great movie. Yeah. <laughs> Jay, how'd you feel about Infinity War? Yeah, well, I love Cap and Infinity War. I think that there's this aspect... So, so we, we, we've said this multiple times, but like Cap always does the right thing, right? Like, And, and there's, this, there's this sense that... Um, I feel like what the MCU has done really well with Black Panther and now Infinity War mm. is that I feel like Cap has actually identified that like I'm no I'm not necessarily the leader that this team needs anymore. Like the way that the Black Panther and T'Challa talks about what leadership needs to look like in the modern world is artful and meaningful. Yeah. And I think I think what Cap is recognizing here is that I'm not actually now a mentor and a role player. I'm no longer the guy who's out in front of everybody leading. And right. I think, I wonder if they'll kind of transition his leadership off to T'Challa based on what T'Challa has learned yeah. through Black Panther. Um, and then Cap can be more of the behind the scenes kind of role player. Now, obviously, <laughs> I, be, I don't know yeah. if he's going to make it through the next movie, but <laughs> we'll, we'll see how that goes. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I think it's really cool to see Cap not force leadership on other people. He's like, look, if I'm not the right leader for this time, and I don't think he, that that actually takes away from his value system. I think he's kind of thinking like, look, leaders are people who are followed. And mm-hmm. if you're willing to follow me, great, I'll lead. But if you're not, then let's look for a, a way for us to get to the same result in a positive way. Yeah. And I like yeah. that about Cap in this film. Yeah, I agree. Um, and yet he is there with the troops, 
you know, running alongside. It's also really interesting seeing him and T'Challa about the same speed. Oh, yeah. that. that was kind of cool. <laughs> cool. It was a nice little moment. Yeah. Um, and and also just seeing him momentarily give Thanos pause for thought, I thought it was a, it was a, a great moment because it's, you know, Thanos knows he can still beat this guy. Like he doesn't have any problem using his other hand to do it a minute or two later. But the fact of having been stopped for even an instant by him is kind of gives him like a, huh, cool. All right. You, you care. That's fine. Kind of a moment, which is, which is a nice little, I don't know, a nice little mark of respect perhaps. I yeah. think it would be super cool if in the next film, cause like what, what do we see? Right. We saw Thanos identify Tony. Yeah. Like, yeah. oh, I know you, Tony Stark. Which right? I'm dying to know what that's about. Like, well, what would be so fascinating is because you have this idea that Thanos is going to fix the world with this, I guess, you, I don't know if you'd call it technology or, yeah. or what you'd call the stones. Yeah. But so he can almost see himself in Tony. Oh, like you're trying to do the same thing I'm trying to do. We just have a slightly different perspective. Yeah. True. I think yeah. what he doesn't see is he doesn't see Cap coming yeah because cap mm -hmm. is trying to fix the world through the traditional value system that would said i value people at the utmost yeah yeah and so there's this surprise moment that's captured so well in in him bringing down the glove and him catching it because it's like wait who is this guy yeah and why yeah, is he even point. doing this and cap yeah. is the only one who is i mean you guys can correct me if this sounds wrong but i feel like cap is the only one that gives him that kind of pause in the movie like mm. even when thor drives the stormbreaker into his chest obviously he should have gone for the head we know that but even when he drives it yeah. into his chest he's even still confident about that yeah like it's it's when he's trying to push his hand down onto cap that he gets that genuine look on his face of what the hell yeah like, you know? yeah true where did you come from yeah. yeah so i love that i love that cap gets to be that guy well, I think it matches too because you know Thor has always had this arrogance about him, and and kind of like every single Thor storyline is like, like kind of like cutting him off at the knees so he he can realize that he shouldn't be so arrogant. <laughs> yeah, true. right. Um, but I think the thing is that Cap from the beginning has always had the humility because of where he came from. He yeah. came from a guy who couldn't even make it into the military because he didn't have the physical stature to do so. Yeah. Um, and so I think that there's this like there's this pride in Thanos and in Thanos being able to say I know how to fix this problem, mm -hmm. and I have enough gall to think that it's killing massive amounts of people. Yeah. And Cap's in here going like, no, there's something, there's another way, and, and that's what's surprising to him is like, what in the world, this normal human being? Because the whole God thing in the beginning of that film too, yeah. where he's like, yeah. you'll never be a God, and Thanos is kind of like, whatever, I'm better yeah. than that right now, <laughs> yeah. right? So. Yeah. I agree. I, th I think it's, um, I think also Cap gets to sort of deliver the moral of the story a little bit. We don't trade lives, Vision. Mm, He's yeah. the one who says it. And then Vision obviously repeats it back to him. Um, I, I think it is my theory um, that the next film will kind of Star Trek three that, that moral. So Star yeah. Trek two was, you know, the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the one. And Star Trek three was the opposite of that. I wonder right. that, if these guys are going to end up trading some lives next time yeah. um, in glorious self-sacrifice or whatever. Um, and I obviously hope that that's not the case and everybody goes home and has a cupcake, but <laughs> you know, there, there, I think that there's a danger of that happening, but I think it is, uh, it is, again, it's interesting that it's cap who kind of gets to articulate that point because Thanos, I mean, he puts his money where his mouth is. He will sacrifice 
all the, those dearest to him, he will sacrifice his own arm to do the right thing. He is willing to absolutely do anything to do what he thinks is right, um, which in a way puts him on a, on a level with Cap, and I wonder if we'll see that developed a little bit in the next film. Mm-hmm. Uh, the difference is, of course, that uh, what he wants to do is both monstrous and ineffective. Unless he's going to do it again yeah. every 70 years, the population doubles every 70 years. So, right. you know, it's never going to work. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, let's go into some, some, some more specific aspects of Cap's personality and his character here. Mm-hmm. It may not seem possible that we can dig deeper than we already have, <laughs> but we can. <laughs> we'll try. We'll try. <laughs> um, so... Like you said, Jay, he didn't have the physical stature to go into the military. So he's somebody who has been powerless and he hates bullies. We hear him say that. That's his whole motivation for wanting to get into the military is he hates bullies. Um, so that's his mindset before he takes the super, the, I can't talk, the super <laughs> soldier serum. And I feel like he never loses it throughout the MCU. So I'm curious yeah. about that, that mindset and the impact on the other characters around him. So I'm curious, what do you guys think about how that impacts all of the other heroes? And then how does it come across to you personally too? So Helen, do you want to start off on this one? Yeah, I think, I think it comes, I think it gives him empathy and sympathy um, that maybe other people don't. I think what it does is essentially um, to use some very current terms, but it punctures his privilege. You know, this Mm. is a tall, gorgeous, blonde, white, straight man. We think straight, we don't know. (laughs) Um, so you would expect him to be extremely privileged in, in this world. And I think he, 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 I mean, he is, but he doesn't come across with that mindset because he knows what the other side is like, because he grew up poor, because he grew up little, because he grew up sickly and scrawny and bullied. Um, and I think, you know, that is, that makes him basically the ally to all the downtrodden and always will, because you don't really shake that early conditioning. Um, so yeah, I think he's always gonna he's always gonna hate bullies, and, and I think a lot of that does go back to the guy inside, the guy underneath, um, because he knows exactly what bullies do to people, and mm. he's not willing to let them. And, he, and in fairness, he wasn't willing to let them even when he was scrawny and sickly. He was still standing up to them. He was still fighting them even then. You know, That's he right. didn't give an inch even as a as a yeah. quote unquote victim. I could do this people. all day. Yeah. I could do this all day. You know, it is absolutely the core of his character is he will spend all day and all his life fighting bullies. Yeah. I think that's, I think that's, um, that's true. I think, uh, I think that it's interesting to see, I, I, I keep, I kind of sound like a broken record cause I keep talking about the, um, the high, the value system that he has and the high moral mm-hmm. standard that he has. But I really do believe that in this question, um, this is where you see, is a, is a I think a question we can all ask ourselves is is a high moral standard worthy if it doesn't actually benefit people, mm. <laughs> right? Yes. Like, um, and that's that's an area where I think we get really tripped up on. I, I, as a as a I always whenever I'm on this podcast I always say uh, that I am a Christ follower, and the reason I say it that way is because if I say I'm a Christian. You immediately have a perspective in your head about the rest of the things that I'm going to say, yeah. or the rest of yeah. the things that I'm going to believe in. Um, but Cap is this fantastic view into morality is is really only good if it's for people. Yeah, 
And and he and they showcase this throughout the movies just so well. And the way that they bring in Bucky, um, they just showcase it to uh, a really great extent. And I really appreciate that. Um, and it showcases sort of like, yeah, a, a strong value system. Morality is important. But let's ask ourselves why it's important. Let's not yeah. just do it because. So. Yeah. Yeah, hundred percent. Because if you if you just have a morality system that doesn't care about people, that's when you run into holy wars and crusades and the Inquisition and you name exactly. it. You know, a hundred percent agree. You you need to have that human love, and that's why the great religious figures of of every religion, you know, from Gandhi to the saints, they have all had that love of humans as well. And not exactly. just not just devotion to God. Exactly. Yeah, yep. and I feel like Cap helps the other heroes around him come into line with that too, because they all yeah. have they all have different motivations, and some of them are much more self focused than other. Like Tony wants to feel better about himself. You know, he wants to he wants to kind of redeem himself and ditch his warmonger reputation. And Black Widow has red in her ledger, and she <laughs> wants to wipe it out. You right, know, right. and yeah, all these different things. And I feel like Cap really helps them come to grips with the idea that no this is about the people we are trying to protect yeah absolutely you know it's, it's interesting there was a, a, a comic book uh, a few years ago and I've, it's written by one of the big writers and i've forgotten which one um where cap was racist and sexist and and sort of the worst of the old-fashioned 1940s attitude so sort of you know mm. racist grandpa kind of material right, right. right? And um, and somebody I remember I think it was Vulture I apologize if I'm wrong wrote a piece going well this is what he should be in the movies as well this is more authentic this is more honest that this guy would be like that and it just all that that got under my skin like nothing else it made me so angry <laughs> because you know first of all certainly in the in the films we've seen him work with a strong woman in Peggy Carter and people of color in the Highland Commandos. And it would be a massive swap if he suddenly became sexist and racist in the modern day. Yeah. Um, but even if you think that's tokenistic casting and whatever, you know, it was just a sop to PC values and whatever else, his backstory alone should give him sympathy with the downtrodden. Like that's just, that's what it keeps coming back to for me. Um, and and it doesn't make any sense, I don't think, for him not to have that. And it certainly, also, it would be unwatchable. But that's another issue. <laughs> yeah. But it really would be. Who wants to see that guy? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, and it's just a testament to his ideals again, too. Because maybe it's fair to say that somebody from that time period could be like that. Oh, I'm but sure some people were, yeah. Yeah, but that's him mm -hmm. showing a better ideal to his time period, just like he does to the current time period. Absolutely. Yeah. And also, it's, you know, it's not fair to say everyone from that time period should have been that way because right. that's just not right. Totally. One of the things that we, so I, I work with a lot of um, startups, uh, nonprofit startups, like tech startups, whatever. And one of the things that we're always encouraging them to do when they start to pitch to investors or pitch to even customers or whatever is one of the things we always do is like go into your own backstory because a lot of the hurts that you have experienced contribute to the way you want to solve problems in the world, which means that then you create businesses out of that, right? Yeah. Um, and that's what people care about. They care about supporting you and what you're trying to do, your why. They don't care about so much, um, I mean, they care about what you're doing, but your why is even more important to them. And that's why Captain America is so cool because his why is so strong. Yeah. I was gonna stand up to bullies no matter what, and then they gave me a super soldier serum and I can do it even more than I could before. So I'm yeah. going to keep doing that. Yeah. That's cool. 
And I feel like Cap is a, the other thing I was going to say about the whole bullies thing, I feel like he is a great representation for geek fandom. Yes. Because I'm old enough to remember the days when none of this stuff was cool (laughs) and and you got picked on for liking this stuff. Now, I never particularly got bullied because I'm a big guy and I just don't think people wanted to mess with me too much. But I had friends, comic book reading friends and stuff like that, especially the guy that got me into comics in elementary school, Mm. got bullied endlessly. Yeah. Mm. And um, I feel like Cap is this picture of not only can you rise above the bullies, but you can do it in a way that helps everybody around you and not just you. 100%. And I feel like Cap is the picture of what geek fandom has become. Like now it's cool. Now yeah. it's big. But let's not let's not um, <laughs> seek revenge or hate the people that used to beat us down. Yeah. Let's invite them into it and say, right. look how cool it is. You know? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay, so this next question is... I don't know. This might be a slightly goofy question, but I thought it'd be fun to talk about. <laughs> um, the super soldier serum seemingly gives Steve the opportunity to be who he wants to be. Um, maybe in the end it turns out to not be that simple, but I'm just curious. Do you guys ever find yourself wishing you could experience something similar? Just change <laughs> something really quickly or does it seem like it's not all it's cracked up to be? What oh, hundred percent. Yeah. <laughs> I absolutely would. I think, the, the the thing that I think makes Steve better than me, I mean, a lot of things do, but one in particular is I don't think he really wished for this. I, I think he he went with it because he saw that it could be valuable and, it, you know, he was told it was a thing that he could do to help his country. But I, I don't think, I don't get the sense that he was, you know, sitting around wishing he was taller, weirdly. I kind of, yeah. you know, I get that he must have on some level, but he never gave that impression of being fundamentally insecure in that way strangely um Mm. so so yeah but i am i would totally i would totally take it i'm about to do an extremely slow marathon tomorrow and if somebody (laughs) could just like wave a wand and make me like two hours faster i would 100 (laughs) percent take it and i heard you talking about that on the the infinity war spoiler special is this like your 10th marathon that you've done this is number 10 yeah wow (laughs) that is impressive well, I mean, not at the speed I go. This is my point, you know. Oh, no, it's um, impressive. Just to complete one of those things <laughs> is impressive. <laughs> but, yeah, I, I would I would just love to be one of the people who just, I mean, if you look at the, the really the elite runners, they just run so beautifully. They just move so well. I would love to be able to move that way. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe one day. Yeah, I think if there's, if, if there is one flaw in the concept of Captain America, it is that you know to truly make a difference, you need performance-enhancing drugs. You know, like, <laughs> and, I, and I don't think the thing is, and I think Helen said this really well, is that I don't think that I don't think that Steve feels like he needs that to make a difference. I feel that he's presented with an opportunity, not even to be, not even so much to be superhuman, but to be just like the rest of everybody else. Yeah. Um, and I think that he 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 grasps grasps onto that not so much because he feels like he has to be the best of the best necessarily, but he feels like he can actually contribute more if he was able to to do that. So it's it's in other yeah. words, it's not a self focused reason; it's a selfless focused reason. Yes, which yes. kind of changes it. Um, now I don't think that there's uh, you know I don't think if you ask me like well even in a self less focused reason would you still be okay taking performance enhancing drugs I'd be like oh <laughs> man I don't know it doesn't sound good um, 
I, I would say I feel exactly like Helen does that like there's so many things in life where it's like, hey, I would like to take the easy way out of this problem. But I also feel like the easy way out of the problem is one, not what was given to us. And two, the sense that it probably will cause more problems long term than it will solve. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, it's so tempting. I mean, I, I just think about this. I remember I remember like uh I, I, I'm bald, right? So when I was losing my hair, my mom was like, my mom was like, uh, hey, I'm going to buy you some Rogaine so that you can, because I was really young when I was losing my hair. She's like, I'm going to buy you some Rogaine so you can use it. Um, and I used it for several years. It didn't help. But um, it, it was, that's, that, that was kind of the sense, right? It was kind of the sense of like, it, if there's an easy fix, would you take it? As opposed yeah. to just like dealing with what you were given. Yeah. And it's hard to say no to that. It's very difficult to say no to that, but. It is. I mean, I can think of several things that I would love to change. I mean, you know, shed some pounds, whatever it may be, learn to be a more patient father to my kids, you yeah. know, all that kind of stuff. But it's the process of struggling through those things that truly teaches you how to deal with those things rather True. than just, you know, no pun intended, but a quick snap of the fingers and everything's yeah. different, you know. <laughs> too, um, soon. Too, yeah, soon. <laughs> too soon. Too <laughs> soon. Um, and I think that's why it works for Steve, because like you said, he didn't necessarily want to be, you know, a perfect specimen, you know, right. he just wanted to help. And this yeah. helped facilitate that. And it's like, I forget the doctor's name, but it's Stanley Tucci's character in the first adventure. He explains like this magnifies what is already there. Yeah. So it'll take a bad man and make him horrible right. and it'll take a good man and make him great. And yeah. so I feel that's like Steve... Sorry, go ahead. Sorry, that's it just occurred to me. That's a really fairy tale idea, isn't it? It takes that you know, there's lots of movies and stories and books where it takes what's already inside you and makes it better. So, you know, the the person who is beautiful on the inside becomes beautiful on the outside. The person who is mean inside becomes ugly. It's the sort of Dorian Gray idea as well. Oh, yeah. Um, and it's and it's a per, it's always a case of be careful what you wish for because just because your neighbor down the road who lives the simple life and gets three wishes and they all turn out brilliantly um that doesn't mean that you the greedy miller who steals the golden goose or whatever is <laughs> is going to have the, do you know what i mean it's going to have yeah, the same yeah. effects that's all that's always been the kind of moral of these stories that you have to be careful what you wish for because if you're wishing for too much for the wrong reasons it's going to turn out badly for you obviously red skull himself is an example of it yeah, yeah totally i was so excited to see him yeah. anyway yeah, sorry you were saying oh yeah yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> No, I think that's that's exactly what I was going for. It's just that, you know, that summing up that it's what's inside that counts. And it's and even it's going through these processes and these hard experiences and things that we have to learn that kind of help shape us into who we are. And a quick little dope is not <laughs> going to get us there that way necessarily. <laughs> um, so before we go on to the next question I have here, Jay, why don't we talk a little bit about what we've got going on? Yeah, we've got a lot of stuff going on. In fact, I, I told Daryl I have to look at the schedule just to, to be sure that I <laughs> cover it all because there's so much of it going on. Um, but we've got, uh, so obviously this will be coming out in, uh, on Tuesday. Then after that, we've got an entire Raylo conversation that we're doing with Shannon McCarter from Network 1901. Um, we're going to set up a Han Solo's character journey in, in advance of or after Solo comes out. We have The Incredibles leading up to Incredibles 2 with mm -hmm. Josh and Angie from Network 1901. Um, 
Jurassic World with uh, Anthony H- Holder. Uh, I, I'm going to say his name wrong because he's like, no, it's, it's Holder. Holder. And it's yeah. like, yeah, it, sound, it looks like Holdier, dude. Um, no, but, uh, Anthony Holder from The Story Cauldron. Uh, so a lot of cool stuff come up. And then we have our 100th episode. That's right. It's coming. Which is crazy. So that'll be really fun. In the meantime, uh, we always have, uh, always, most of the time, we have uh, special Patreon releases. So for those of, those of you who are kind enough to support us by subscribing monthly uh, for just $3 a month, uh, less than, in, in, in Los Angeles, California, it's less than a gallon of gas. Yeah. <laughs> um, you can actually support us and uh, we, we provide additional content to you as a thank you for that. So really, really appreciate that. Um, and of course we do our live show. Um, the live show, you know, our YouTube channel has not grown nearly as fast as the podcast has, but we do live shows. So every uh, most Thursday nights, because life gets in the way, uh, we do a live show where last last this last time we did uh, trivia, because Indiana Jones is my biggest fandom, and yeah. so everybody stumped me on Indiana Jones questions. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but so we had Indiana Jones trivia um, coming up this Thursday, and I can say that since this will be released on Tuesday, coming up this Thursday, we'll all be trying to stump Daryl on Batman trivia. That's right. So that's going to be really fun. So make sure you're um, subscribed. If you type the story geeks into most of the social ne- media networks out there, you will be led to our channels. And so check us out on all of those. And also be sur- sure to check out the Empire podcast because you're going to want to check out what Helen has to say. Always really good <laughs> content on there. Love that stuff. So, Yeah. Okay. So this is a good moment for me to just throw this out because yeah. I, I have to say this. So, And Helen, I think I mentioned this to you in one of our emails, but... The Empire podcast was my first podcast. Whoa. Really? Wow. Yes, it was the first podcast that I ever listened to, and it's what made me realize how cool podcasts can be and how much I love podcasts. Yeah. And now I'm on one, which yeah. is fantastic. And I'm getting to talk to Helen O'Hara, which is wonderful. <laughs> and Wow. So, yeah, your guys' podcast means a lot to me, and I still love it. And it's just... I feel like, in especially the spoiler specials and stuff, really kind of inform a lot of what Jay and I do because you guys like to dive deep. So, yeah, wow. absolutely. Well, thank you, and I'm I'm so impressed we didn't put you off for life. That is no, no not at all. <laughs> not what I would have expected. Yeah. Not at all. It's it's fun to listen to. So you you know you can pass that on to Chris and all the guys when you go. I back will do. Thank you. <laughs> um, okay, let's jump back into our conversation about Cap here. So we've talked a lot about. Cap's immovability and his stubbornness and his commitment to his ideals. Obviously, it's very nicely summed up in Civil War when Sharon Carter is giving the memorial speech at Peggy's memorial service. Hmm. And so she's quoting Peggy here, and she says, Compromise when you can. When you can't, don't. Even if everyone is telling you that something wrong is something right, even if the world is telling you to move, it's your duty to plant yourself like a tree, look them in the eye and say, no, you move. So obviously that is a picture of Cap and it's a wonderful sum up of who he is. But I'm curious, we've talked about all of these great ways that he uses his ideals and how wonderful a character that makes him be. I'm curious if you guys think that that stubbornness has ever actually gotten him into trouble, mm. if he's ever used it in a way that has actually caused problems. I mean, definitely in Civil War. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Or between, maybe more accurately, between Winter Soldier and Civil War. Maybe he should have talked things over with Tony. Maybe he should have been honest. And I think 
we had a big argument about this in, in the Empire podcast, but I think that's what he's apologizing for at the end of Civil War when he sends the note to Tony. I think he's apologizing about not being honest. I don't think for a second he's apologizing about protecting Bucky, right. um, but I think he is apologizing for not also being honest with Tony um, and trying to find a way to do both because he didn't have Tony uh, Bucky for two years. Maybe they could have worked through this all in his absence, you know? Yeah. Um, so I think, I think there's definitely, he realizes he, he, he messed up in that respect. And, and that's what I think he's apologizing for at the end of that movie. Um, I think he he leaves the shield with Tony as a as a part of that apology, as an acknowledgement that Tony is hurting and that Tony's father made it and that, you know, maybe this will help. Um, again, we had an argument about that on the Empire podcast. One of my colleagues <laughs> thinks it's a it's a recognition that he is not fit to call himself Captain America. I don't think for a second that's true. Um, but I do think that it's a kind of it's a peace offering uh, and, a, and a recognition that okay you have a point this will make you feel better you know yeah take it um so for sure in, in that ca in that case definitely i think he he kind of did the wrong thing um yeah. but it's definitely caused him trouble i mean the question was is i guess whether it was worth it i mean is taking down the whole of shield physically <laughs> taking it down the best way to deal with the infiltration of hydra you could argue not probably yeah. right hmm. um but he doesn't do things by halves I guess. yeah <laughs> that's true i'm gonna be team helen by the way on that on that explanation of right uh, yeah I'm yeah so yeah, right yeah um so I, I actually mine comes from civil war as well uh, i did not pick up on what you were picking up on but i think you're totally right about that the other one that i picked up on is that I think Civil War showcases for me the first time when, well, maybe not the first time. You could probably give me arguments that they did this too early in other times too, mm -hmm. but that violence is used to solve problems. Uh, so, and I think your, your lead in is actually what could have prevented that violence from happening. Now, yeah. I am not somebody who would tell you that violence is never appropriate. I do think <laughs> that there are some things that are truly evil. Yeah. Uh, where violence is an, uh, an unfortunate necessity. But I think that to say we're going to have two teams of, uh, for the most part, good people who are going to literally destroy an airfield um, <laughs> because we have a disagreement uh, is kind of a picture for where we're at as a society, at least in the States. <laughs> but it's I don't think it's the correct way of looking at that. I think that there should have been some more nuance to that. There should have been some more conversations. Like Helen said, there should have been some truth revealed before that. I mean, if these guys were talking out of their feelings as opposed to, you know, punching out of their feelings, they could have gotten a lot further down this road. Um, you know, if, mm. if, if Tony sat back and said, I'm scared of myself, and that's why I need accountability. And and Cap said, I'm worried about this power that the United States government has that I disagree with. Yeah. They could have come to a third alternate solution that we all probably would have been pretty happy with. <laughs> but Although, we don't go there. I, I yeah. don't think, I mean, it's not just Cap. I would agree. But I, it's not just Cap. Tony is not listening at that point. He tries oh, to tell yeah. him about this threat, you know, the Russian agents, la, la, la. There is no time to listen on the other that's side that's a great point yeah that's a great point yeah, that, but, that is but, very true but you're right i mean cap probably could have should have tried harder because you know yeah he could maybe he could have gone through roadie or vision and yeah. not just addressed himself to tony 
Exactly. And I, and I think the only problem that it creates is it creates the violence then problem, right? Like, okay, well then it just is, it just is so ludicrous. If, if, if we said, if we said that like the CIA and the FBI, are going to have an all out drag out fight just to see who would win. <laughs> you'd be like, what in the world? That is ridiculous. It may have happened. <laughs> I don't know. We'll probably learn 10 years from now it's happened, but uh, it's just so, it's so crazy. So that's the only thing that I would say that cap has gotten in trouble for. Mm. Yeah, I feel like you can also sort of see his stubbornness start to cause him a little bit of trouble when you get to Infinity War too, because like you said, he could have had, even after Civil War, he could have really pushed to have a conversation with Tony and sit down and, and work things out hmm. as opposed to, yeah. you know, kind of going and becoming the secret Avengers and becoming Nomad. I know they don't, they don't name them like that, but that's pretty much what they did. Yeah. And, yeah. and, um... And like I said, I would love to see what was happening in that meantime, but he definitely could have pushed harder rather than just sort of being like, okay, well, I'm going to go do this other stuff in the meantime. And yeah. let's leave it to that famously mercurial guy to calm down. Yeah. And calm down. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so yeah. It's maybe not going to happen. I mean, you can see with the fate of the world at stake, Tony still can't quite bring himself to dial the, the phone. Right. You know, so yeah. maybe it did fall to Steve to be the bigger man consistently. And what's... What's so interesting about that too, now that you bring that up, is actually he went and looked for someone better than himself who didn't have the fear that he has in Spider-Man. Yeah. So he was like, yeah. "Oh, I don't have, I don't have Cap anymore. I'm unwilling to get over my pride to pick up the phone and call him. I'll just look for a, another Cap." <laughs> you know, like, and he finds he, you know, he finds Peter Parker. But yeah, yeah. that's really interesting. Who's another wondered, good guy? Oh, yeah, totally. Yeah. Adorable kid. So I've seen Infinity War three times now, and every time I see it. I wonder. So in that moment when, you know, when Bruce is like, call him. And Tony's like, it's not that simple, you know? Yeah. yeah. I wonder in that moment, would it be harder for Tony to make that call to Cap or for Cap to make that call to Tony? That's a good point. I don't think we ever really, you know, Cap put himself in the position where Tony had to call him. Yeah. You know. And but it almost feels like it'd be harder for Steve to yeah. make the call than it would be for Tony. That could be true. Well, I, see, I think, though, that like from the character de development standpoint, like we talked a little bit about earlier, um, it it feels to me like Tony's the one that needs to make the call, not Cap. Because Cap seems like he's saying, if I'm not the leader for this time, I have the humility to take a step back and go do something else where I'm needed. Yeah. Um, and it feels like the pride is not on Cap's side, it's on Tony's side. So if Cap made the call and Tony said yes, I don't think it resolved anything. Yeah, I think yeah, maybe. Yeah. I think why it seems that way to me is just because if you look at Civil War, if you look at the quote unquote offenses yeah. that they commit against each other, Tony's offenses are less personal than Cap's offense of yeah. if he did know that Bucky killed the Starks, it's less personal than Cap not telling Tony about that. That's true. That's yeah. true. Yeah. I think and that's what's so great about the story yeah. is that it's so complex <laughs> that you can actually yeah. make a case for either side, which is cool. It's, it's interesting actually how many people uh, basically said to me, but he killed, but Bucky killed his mom, you know, and that, hmm. like end of story, Bucky killed his mom, job done. And like, Hey, I have a mom. She's great. And I don't want to suggest that that doesn't matter, but it's, it's not the end of the conversation. There's a, I don't know if you guys read Terry Pratchett. He's a huge name in the UK. He's not as big in the U S but he's written a huge number of 
kind of comic fantasy books that gradually turned into great literature somewhere along the way. Mm. But in one of his books, there is a very cap-like figure actually called Carrot, um, who's a police uh, officer. Mm. And somebody kidnaps his girlfriend and threatens his girlfriend's life. And, you know, and someone else points out, well, now you have to do something. Now it's personal. And Carrot says, personal isn't the same as important. Ooh, that's awesome. Which is like, it's it sounds very cold and it kind of comes across very cold as well. But it, it it's true. And it's something that almost no films and, you know, certainly American blockbuster films, none of them ever deal with. If it's personal, that overrides everything else. Right. And personal isn't the same as important. It can't be. Um, and sometimes, you know, it's the West Wing, what was it, season three ended with him having to literally recuse himself from the presidency because it was personal, suddenly. Oh, uh, yeah. And it Isn't is... it interesting, too, that it, we the United States is such an individualistic, or maybe faux individualistic at this mm. point, but that society being like, no, if it's personal, then you handle your own business. And it's like, wait a minute. Right. That's, I don't know if that's right. <laughs> and isn't that maybe getting us into some problems, you know? So maybe it is important to be able to distinguish what's personal and what's important. Now, you can also, of course, argue that Steve doesn't, that his devotion to Bucky is, causes similar problems. Um, but obviously I disagree. Uh, you know, but I think, <laughs> I think there is, I think there is uh, an element of, of importance in separating the two. So, mm. yeah. Mm. I wonder how much worse it would have been if Steve, if uh, Tony's mom was named Martha. <laughs> <laughs> no, oh man! Why did you oh, say that name? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh. um, okay, let's go back to talking about Bucky a little bit. So, Jay, you've talked about yourself feeling like a broken record. My broken record thing yeah. on our podcast is obviously legacy. I love legacy. I love legacy characters. Y'all are going to challenge me on Batman, obviously, but. As I've said before, my real favorite comic book character is actually Nightwing because mm -hmm. he's a legacy character. Bucky's a legacy character too. Mm -hmm. So I love the inclusion of Bucky and I love the, the treatment that Steve has for Bucky, his loyalty, how far he's willing to go for him. But I'm curious, you know, we talked a little bit about his, you know, did his idealism get him in trouble? I'm curious if you guys think he handled everything with Bucky correctly. Should he have approached that? any differently so Helen what do you think I mean definitely mistakes were made <laughs> I think probably <laughs> as a result I don't think it's I don't know if he's handled it badly with regards to Bucky himself but I think there's an edge of desperation to his um to his attachment um and you know like I was saying before I think it's I think it's partly the fact that this is the one link to his old world and even in his old world, this was his one link, it seemed, to to everyday life. You know, he'd yeah. lost his parents. He had no siblings. Um, what he had was this friend, this really good friend who stuck up for him, who arranged double dates for him, who kind of bait and switched his dates, let's be honest. Um, <laughs> you know, who who absolutely looked out for him and protected him when he needed it. So that, you know, that level of devotion is not, and, and I think it was mutual. I think, you know, even as a scrawny kid, I think Steve was equally devoted to Bucky. Um, I think that doesn't just go away. And, and it definitely has led to him being literally willing to be beaten to death by his friend, yeah. if that's what it takes in The Winter Soldier, to get him back to himself. And this absolute belief that 
he can get through to this brainwashed husk of a man um, in that in that fight. I mean, that is that's a hell of a leap of faith. It really yeah. is, and it, and it goes to again just the 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 deep belief that he has in this friendship and the absolute need he has to save Bucky. Um, mm. But at the same time, it's not a blind thing, you know, like in the in the staircase fight in in civil war civil war yes um you know he tells bucky not to kill anybody he knows that he's still not well he knows that he can't quite trust himself and that steve can't quite trust him and and literally has to save a couple of people from plummeting to their death when come on man yeah exactly (laughs) such a great moment you know but it's again it kind of goes to their relationship and and even broken as it is after 70 years apart after brainwashing and torture and everything else there is still some core between them i think it's uh, yeah I do, I, I do love it and i think it's a really important part of the character in the mcu um that we've come to know and love definitely yeah the only thing the only thing i would say if i was like being hypercritical of cat <laughs> is that i would say the challenge is if you don't speak out of your feelings and give people reasons for doing the things you're doing and give them backstory into why you're doing those things and at least try to, as Helen said, address the situation before you result to violence. Okay. The, the only thing that can happen to you is even as a person who fights bullies, you have to be very careful that you don't become one. Yeah. Um, and I, I don't think he does. I don't think he becomes a bully at all because I think his focus is still on uh, if, his, if his focus had been in Civil War on being right, yeah. then I would say he's a bully. I don't think that's his focus. His focus is on restoring Bucky. Um, he just so happens he's willing to fight to restore his friend. Um, so that's just a small little nuance, but it's a nuance I think that really matters because as soon as Cap turns into a bully, it, it takes away everything that we love about Cap. So I think they handle it really well without crossing the line. And so they make that kind of like... Uh, they make it a real gray area about where he's getting into, but they handle it so well that at no point do we go, well, now Cap's a bully. Yeah. Mm. So I, I, I really, I would say that's probably the only aspect of it that I would. Yeah, yeah. bullying's interesting with regard to Cap because he doesn't have Batman's one rule, you know, and he yeah. absolutely kills people. Like those first couple yeah. of minutes of the Winter Soldier. You know, he just goes through people like a cheese grater. Um, <laughs> but he doesn't kill willy-nilly at the same time. So when it's a, you know, it's a proper government team coming after him and Bucky, then he's trying to use minimum force. So it's kind of, yeah, you're right. It's an interesting gray area that he operates in sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. And I think I'm actually, I, I don't know if you guys were disagreeing with each other, but I would be team <laughs> Helen on this one <laughs> just because I, I too, I think, He's so desperately trying to hold on to that piece of his past. Mm. And I love how the narrative of Civil War gets carried out. Because you get that scene in the beginning after what happens, you know, when they're trying to capture Crossbones and everything. You get that quiet scene between Cap and Wanda, where he sort of talks about, you know, this job, you know, and how rough it can be. And you save as many as you can. And that's a a short scene that maybe gets lost after all of the action and the grandeur of everything else in the movie. But I feel like that one little conversation informs him so much and really gives you the tension for how far he's willing to go to protect Bucky. Yeah. Because yeah, he will cut loose and he'll fight um, the other heroes 
Yeah. Like, he will fight them, but he doesn't really fight anybody else. He just tries to kind of keep people away from Bucky and protect him. Yeah, no, no, no. I, I actually don't think we're disagreeing. In fact, you, you could, if you were listening to the podcast, you're like, I wish there was more disagreeing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which we do get into. Uh, we always talk about how we're going to argue about stuff, and then we never do. <laughs> well, you and I, very, we, we, we often disagree on opinions, but very rarely when we break down a story do we disagree on the meaning of it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, the I think what uh, what's really fascinating about Cap is, and this is where the violence thing comes in, right, is that it'd be it's so easy especially in other properties to see where violence could have been avoided um especially mm. if you i mean especially if you watch a movie like that De- i haven't seen deadpool too but if you watch a movie like deadpool it's like <laughs> yeah. a lot of this could be avoided <laughs> at least to the extreme that is that it's being done um but cap i don't think i like i said earlier i do think that we would say that there are times when violence has to be appropriate it's sort of like the last resort but yeah. when there is something that is so purely evil that the only the only consequence is violence to to deal with it. Um, and I would say that Cap Cap actually embodies that. Yeah. So yeah. The, even the Civil War violence doesn't feel like he's trying to kill anybody. He's just trying to get through this barrier so that he can keep trying to rescue Bucky. He's just backed yeah. into a corner and he's exactly. trying to do his best. Exactly. I think yeah. I think it's really interesting that. So Cap obviously comes out of World War Two, which is, you know, it's pr- we pretty much all agree, although some corners of the Internet are beginning to doubt it. But but World War Two is the good war. World War Two is the mm. war that needed to be fought. Mm. Um, and it was a war where one side killed millions of people. Well, actually, so did the Soviets. But anyway, it was it yeah, was one yeah. side where one guy was trying to conquer half of Europe and kill a race of people and also disabled people, gay people, you name it. Um, and the other side was trying to stop him. That's a fairly righteous cause. We can all get yes. behind that. And the thing is that the wars since have not been as righteous. It is not an accident that Captain America comes from World War Two. In the same way that it's not an accident that the Wonder Woman film was set in World War One, because yeah. that is a morally just murky war that is a war that did not need to be fought that was a war where powers wanted to re-establish who was boss and and went to war in a fairly cold-blooded thing thinking they'd just have a quick fight sort it all out and be home by christmas um and it and it's it's important that that's a part of his character it's important that he comes from that background of fighting for for genuinely truth justice in the american way Mm. um because that kind of you know, it, it colors what comes after. That's why Winter Soldier is so good because it puts him in a position where there is no right and wrong, obvious, clear to see. You don't know who to punch and who to trust. Mm. Um, and it's kind of the same in Civil War. You do. He wants to trust all of these people. He kind of does trust all these people, but they are going in a direction that he can't follow. Yeah. Um, so it's it's almost I think it's almost probably a relief for him when Thanos turns up and he's like, okay, we can all get behind this guy. This is the bad guy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. I, we know this for sure. This is <laughs> just okay. cut loose and fight. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. exactly. <laughs> that actually it reminded me of um, this will go super geeky here, but the uh, Justice League Unlimited animated series. I don't know uh-huh. if you guys ever watched that, but there's a moment where Darkseid comes to Earth. And Superman is fighting him. Mm-hmm. And Superman says something like, what I have right here is a rare moment that I don't get to experience much. I get to let loose. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And it was super fun. I, I do think that there's one line um, 
that came from the first Avenger uh, that I really love. And it's when Red Skull, again, the embodiment of evil. Yeah. It's like we took the Nazis and made them even more evil, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, which is like almost impossible. Uh, but the Red Skull asks Steve, what makes you so special? And Steve's response is awesome because he goes, nothing. I'm just a kid from Brooklyn. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I think that that, that, like, that that grounding is constantly there in his character. And if that grounding wasn't there, then he would he would like if you can imagine uh thor is nowhere near as grounded as cap right he's well, he may be now <laughs> well well yeah he's getting there right yeah. it's like part of his character but we'd also argue that thor has an upstanding perspective that he's constantly trying to pursue that's why he's yeah. an avenger um but cap has a more meaningful perspective because of where he's been and who he is yeah so I do remember a Tumblr joke saying that you know Steve's from Brooklyn because he can't stop telling you that he's from Brooklyn. <laughs> Which is very mean, but I kind of get the gist, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's funny. Yeah, and that little moment between him and Spider-Man, too, in Civil yeah, War. Yeah, exactly. He's like, where are you from, kid? Queens. He's like, ah, Brooklyn. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. That's a cool little moment. Um, so Steve has experienced a tremendous amount of loss, obviously. So he lost Peggy. He lost everybody he ever knew in the 40s. And even though in the end he gets them back, he experienced the loss of Bucky and even the loss of, the loss of Nick Fury. Mm. So he's been through a whole hell of a lot. So I'm curious, how do you guys think that all of that has shaped him? I think this is, I think he kind of harks back here again to the kind of um, the, the 40s and earlier and the kind of immigrant experience almost in America and, and the poverty of the sort of Lower East Side, you know, all those kind of images that you get and those little very brief flashbacks to his early life yeah. of the, the idea that life was kind of cheap um, in the past for poor people and well, it still is for many poor people um, in the sense that life was nasty, brutish and short, that they didn't have the opportunities, that they weren't guaranteed health, that they weren't guaranteed food or safe water or adequate shelter. Um, and, you know, and, and I get this sense that he has, you know, he's grown up sickly himself. His parents died. Um, I think there's probably a wider family or certainly wider circle of friends that died. I feel like the, the sort of folded in on himself version of Steve that we see when Bucky's walking him home from the funeral is someone who's lost and lost and lost and been used to losing people close to him his entire life. And I feel like, you know, that's on one hand helped him to adjust to the loss of an entire era. And on the other hand, um, you know, just left him like completely adrift in many ways that probably aren't entirely acknowledged by him. Um, so I think it's that kind of, you know, that you hear about the kind of emotional stoicism of earlier generations that we don't really have anymore, that we're, we're kind of not conditioned to have. And I think mm. he, he does kind of embody that is what I'm trying to say. But um, that's not to say that those earlier generations didn't suffer yeah, <laughs> in the same way that we do. They just maybe didn't talk about it or express it in the same ways. Yeah. Yeah, that's really good. Yeah, I, I um I think that there's a couple things. He ha he's basically has a role of a person that is outside his timeline. Right? Mm -hmm. Like he he has to live the man out of time. Yeah, he 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 has to live that way. Um but it also gives him le less to latch onto, which I think does two things. Um one, it gives him the ability to see his value system 
more clearly um, or clear. Like there's a clearer way of him seeing it because he's basically, he goes like, I was supplanted into this new place that has a lots of different things going on, but what do I, what can I latch onto? And he latches onto two things. One Bucky, when he realizes Bucky is back yeah. and his, his moral code. So, or his value system. So I think that that, it almost provides clarity for him to be outside of time in a way mm-hmm. that's really powerful for his character. Um, You're right. I mean, he was kind of at odds in his own time. Like he's no more awkward with Tony than he was with Howard. Yeah, that's, that's true. true. You know? Yeah, <laughs> that's true. That's so true. It's just a different kind of awkwardness. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but the other thing I think that that that's what gives him depth as a character too, because he's not just he's not he's a true character. He's not just a poster. You know what I mean? Like, even when they try to make him a poster, you can see how difficult it is for him in the first Avenger. It's kind of like, why am I doing this? This is not who I was made to be. Like, I was made to make a difference. And I'm just, and he's trying to make a difference and he's realizing it's doing no good. Yeah. So it gives depth to his character that I really like. Yeah. And I think it helps drive his sort of unspoken mission, too. Like, he, uh, all of the stuff that he has experienced has helped helped inform what he wants to help other people avoid. Obviously we're all going to experience loss. We're all going to die. Like that kind of stuff is unavoidable, but maybe he can minimize it. Maybe he can make people's lives a little bit better Mm. throughout the process. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Let's, uh, I'm curious here. Let's, let's take a walk in Steve's shoes and see if we can sort of extrapolate what it might feel like to, be frozen for 70 years <laughs> wake up in the future so um i'm curious what would you guys hope that you would see 70 years into the future what would you be afraid you might see mm. so. well i'd hope for hoverboards obviously like proper ones not those ones <laughs> i know right now. yeah come on they're overdue already they've got to be around in 70 years <laughs> I, I i don't know I, I hope what i hope is that we're on the right path as a as a as a species, as a society, I hope that we are um, figuring out the big stuff. Uh, I, I feel like even though the last few years have been pretty rough here as as well as other places, mm-hmm. um, that it's also shown that a lot of people do value valuable things and people are being more vocal about it and people are speaking out more. I feel like our pop culture is changing and becoming a bit more inclusive and a bit more representative and a bit better actually because i've just gone through and watched a bunch of 80s movies and they all have obviously you know straight white male leads yeah and and they're all great and everything but it gets really wearisome after a while and you know it's it's good it is a a way of making old stories fresh again to be more inclusive and be more diverse and i feel like where pop culture is heading it's it's reflecting where we are as a society and i hope we keep on that path i just hope we um, we keep allowing ourselves to grow in that way in terms of, you know, inclusiveness and equality and all of those good things and don't grow in terms of industrialization and pollution and all of the things that might kill the planet. Cause that's genuinely what I'd be worried about in 70 mm. years. Um, I mean, obviously there's the minor worries like, you know, plague of zombies or whatever, because I worry <laughs> more than I should about zombism, but genuinely like uh, 70 years we we could be seeing environmental collapse so that would be my kind of fear and i would hope that i'd get to a future which had loads of you know i don't know whatever it is wind farms or you know 
um, solar panels or whatever is going to save us, yeah. but something that would that would make us make sense, I guess, as a species. I hope we just keep growing and don't stop. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting because I think you said at the beginning of the podcast, Helen, that the population doubles every 70 years, right? Yeah. So we're looking at, what, 14 billion at that point in time? Almost 15 billion? That's a scary um, thought. Yeah. yeah, that's a scary thought, right? So I here's the thing. If you look at history as a barometer, yeah, we keep we we can't seem to like consistently figure it out so that we're constantly getting better. I do think we've gotten better in a lot of areas. Like Helen, you just yeah. talked about all the areas we've gotten a lot better in. But what scares me about going out seventy years is I go. I mean, if if you look at the historical timeline. We know that war is cyclical. We know that yeah. famine is cyclical. We know that plagues are cyclical. That's that's very scary to me. Yeah. Um, and so I feel like if if you were to put me in ice for seventy years and I was to come back, I prefer carbonite maybe. But if you put me in ice, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I'm I'm scared that we would be uh, in a war torn environment. I mm. mean, we've we've seen in history, we've seen hundreds of years of where we didn't have any wars, and I'm kind of thinking like. You know, even today we see wars. Um, I think we see a lot of more publicized wars too than we may have seen uh, in history. Yeah, there, there but... is. A, I, I did read, and I, I, I can't cite the source, so I can't remember it, I'm afraid. But I did read that there is actually less war going on in the world today than at any point in Yeah, I've heard that too, history. which makes me really happy. Which um, I, yeah, which I take comfort from, and I, I hope is correct. Yeah. Um, but I, I also agree that I think there is that worry. I think we're already seeing the edges of it. I think a lot of the worry about, you know, immigrant immigration, for example, and, and resources and stuff like that is coming from this sense of unease about where the world's headed and whether we're going to be okay. Um, yep. And I hope that we can all get past that. And I hope we all are okay. Yeah. <laughs> you know? So Well, there's this sense too that like, there's this sense that when we focus on fear, and we focus on scarcity. Yes. We tend to want to become selfish and take care of just ourselves. Exactly. I mean, we saw this happen like with when we when we we've seen countries all over the world, including the states, say we're not taking your refugees, or there's a limit on refugees, or we're only taking certain refugees, or whatever. And I think that that is a very um, that's a complex issue. I'm not trying to make it a simple issue. Sure. But at the same time, it's like, look, if we focus on ourselves the only place that leads us to are wars. The only place that leads us to is increasing famine because we're not giving up of the excess that we have to help somebody who doesn't have that. And that's a very scary place to be. So for me, I go, I feel like in a world that has less fear, in a world that is willing to reach out across borders and have conversations, as opposed to, like Tony and, and, and Cap <laughs> not having the conversation, what does that lead to? Mm. This self-protection idea. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I'm just, I'm, I, I get a little worried because I, I know that there will always be people who are fighting the good fight, so to speak, in terms of being uh, selfless and trying to yeah. help other people. But man, sometimes I look, at, look around and be like, seems like we're all getting pretty selfish and that yeah. scares me. Yeah, and we may have it may very well be true that we have less war today than we've had before, but I don't think that that, at least here in the States, I don't feel like that means we have more safety than we've no. had before. Right. Yeah. Because we are even more individ individualistic than we've ever been and more divided. 
Yeah. And, you know, we have hate crimes. We have school shootings. We just had a school shooting yesterday in Texas. Right. I saw and, it was tragic. And just all these horrific things that we're doing yeah. to ourselves. Like, it's not even... I mean, it's not a battle between countries. It's yeah. Yeah. it's hate and war within our own country. Yeah. You know? I mean, yeah. I'm I'm Northern Irish, right? So I I know these <laughs> these issues. <laughs> right, this, right, is, right. this is the entire background of my country and yeah. um and I all I can say is that people of good character can can find a way to make a make a peace. Yeah. And to, to move things forward. Not very far forward in the case of Northern Ireland. We're still a bit messed up as countries go, but we are not currently shooting each other and mm. when i go home now and i go shopping in belfast we don't have to say okay i'll meet you at three o'clock at the bookshop or if there's a bomb scare i'll meet you at four o'clock at marks mm. and spencer's which is genuinely what i had to do during my childhood that was that was just standard wow. practice um so you know i do think we're moving forward i do think there is the capability in all of us to to move forward and, and yeah. to to be better um, and I just and I do feel like we've taken one step back recently, and I hope that that leads to the next two steps forward. Yeah, yeah. And when I think about my hope for seventy years in the future, mm-hmm. I go straight to Wonder Woman. Because, <laughs> oh yeah. You know, I believe in love like that. Yeah. That is what I hope for the future. I hope that people are eff- are making efforts to love each other, to put other people first, to consider other people's plight and help them and not be so self-focused because we've talked about before on the story geeks podcast here that our definition of a villain is selfishness basically like functioning only for your own self-interests with no regard for others whatsoever yeah and so that that would be my hope i agree i do too okay let's let's do we got one more question here and we'll go right back to cap so Let's look forward a little bit. Let's speculate on what we might get from Avengers 4. So <laughs> as worrisome as it might be, what do you guys think is in store for Steve Rogers? And I think on the spoiler special, Helen said, I don't like doing this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, I, I mean, I, partly I don't because I actually genuinely trust Marcus and McFeely and the Russos totally. to surprise me. Um, so I, I trust that whatever I come up with will be wrong in some fundamental way. Um but so I think there's I, for me, there's two options for Steve bowing out. Well, no, there's three. No, there's two. There's two. Um, and one is dying to save other people, uh, which would be, let's face it, entirely in character. Um, mm-hmm. And the second is some kind of shenanigans with the time jam that leaves him back in 1945 with Peggy Carter. Right. Um, and I was thinking when you were quoting Sharon at the funeral, quoting Peggy how yeah. brilliantly that quote sums up Steve's worldview and how it suggests, I mean, it could suggest uh, a level of kind of made for each otheriness of between the two of them, that if that is her worldview and not just her quoting what she thinks Steve would have said, which is also possible, that it suggests that the two of them were just destined and, and that should, you know, that would be your happy ending. Um, sadly, I think these filmmakers are far too sadistic for that to happen. And it well, would if Joss probably... Whedon was still in charge, we know that he wouldn't oh, make it out. God, Nobody gets yeah. to be happy. Nobody gets. Oh, he's a leaf on the wind. Um... <laughs> oh, wash. <laughs> but, um, hey, look, Zoe was at the royal wedding today as we record this, so that gives me hope hey, as well. There you so. go. Yeah, <laughs> it's got to be good. Um, but no, I, I, I do. I think I, I think the most likely thing is is his death. But I do hope against hope that they find a way to give him a 
give him a happy ending and give him some peace, maybe. And I'm not sure what that peace would look like. Maybe the only way for this character that we've discussed to have peace is to die helping others. Maybe that is only, you know, if, if you think about everything we've said about this guy wanting to always do the right thing, about him wanting to protect people, I don't know that his work will ever be done. Yeah. So maybe like the only sacrifice way... is the ultimate yeah. realization. Yeah. I, mm -hmm. I think maybe that is the only the only thing that can give a true ending to Steve Rogers in, in these movies. Um, but I, I really hope I'm wrong because because I'm I'm not I'm not I'm not emotionally and physically prepared for that. Yeah. <laughs> I I actually really love the uh, the Steve and Peggy reunion. Seriously, because. <laughs> Well, just even watching the and first they could Avenger. they could have their cake and eat it too, right? Like the rest of the world could think that he's dead, but he could have actually been rocketed back in time, and he could get that dance and live out his life. Yeah, yeah. Well, dance. I just think that that their relationship is just so cool in that film too, and how it how it plays out is really cool. Um, but I, I hate to say this, but I don't think that I, I sort of okay. So so picture this: I kind of hope that Cap gets that fulfilled. Uh, mm. in the quote-unquote afterlife, whatever that means, by the way, in, in, the, in the MCU at this point, yeah. Um, yeah. as opposed to it happening. Because I think that Thanos is the ultimate bully. Like, like there's, there's this question that keeps being presented, and, and I'm, a, I'm in a bunch of geek groups, and so, like, <laughs> I just see all of the people warring over this question constantly, yeah. which is, why didn't he create more resources? And the simple answer is, because he doesn't want to. Yeah. Mm. Uh, the simple answer that is that Thanos had been hurt as a child because of his homeland being decimated, um, or whatever whatever word you want to use to describe mm. what happened to his home homeworld. Because technically, decimated means you wipe out one tenth <laughs> of the population, right? Is that right? Yeah. Is that yeah? I heard. Well, yeah. Exactly. Where on earth did you hear that? I don't yeah. know. Uh, maybe something I was listening to recently. Yeah. <laughs> What's so funny about that is I didn't get that definition, but I was like, oh, yeah, Decimate, I'm going to look that up because I'm not sure what it means. So for some reason, I didn't get the actual definition there, but I enjoyed that conversation. Catch Anyways. up on your Empire podcast episodes and you'll you'll be in the know. On yeah, Decimated. yeah, yeah. <laughs> but so so my 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 thought is that here's a broken pe person trying to solve problems in a very broken way. Mm. Um and that makes him a bully. It turns him into a bully. And who is the ultimate person who should stand up to that bully? Who who is the ultimate person who surprised Thanos by standing up to him despite the fact that he's basically like a super but human? Yeah. Um, it's Steve Rogers. Yeah. No one can complete that loop the way that Steve can complete that loop. And if he dies doing it, that's something that, by the way, Thanos wasn't even willing to do. One of the reasons we know Thanos is evil is because he's not one of the ones that goes away. Yeah. True. He sticks yeah. around to see his idealized world realized. Um, and so I, I just kind of hope that that's the kind of the complete loop for Steve. And I know that's I know that that's problematic, but I also think that when like it's almost kind of like the the poetic death is like the death that we would all hope to achieve because it actually means something. Yeah. Mm. And I feel like that would be awesome for for Steve. Totally. Yeah. And I would love to see you know me being the legacy guy. I would actually <laughs> love to see somebody else become Captain America. Cuz in the comics, you know Bucky's Captain America yeah. for a time, Sam Wilson is Captain America mm. for a time, and yeah. there are some others too. And I would just love to see that happen. I don't think that means that Steve has to die. 
Um, we've even seen in the comics, Steve Rogers is still around. Yeah. He's mm-hmm. just not Captain America anymore and somebody else as is As long as they that. don't make him Hydra. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh my that gosh. would be a terrible idea. Who would do that? <laughs> That's know. just the worst. <laughs> um, but I would love to see that. And then I would love to see even further down the road, Steve come back into the picture. Because mm. some of my favorite moments in comics have been... The like, you know, not just the passing of the torch, but the returning of the torch. Sure. Like Barry Allen coming back to life and Wally West allowing Barry Allen to be Flash again. And, mm. you know, when other people have taken over the mantle of Batman, like Dick Grayson, and then handing it back to Bruce Wayne. Like, I love those moments, too. So I agree that the poetic death of Cap is awesome and is probably where we're headed. Yeah. I don't know. But I would love to see him stick around and be able to influence these characters even more in the future. Hmm. Yeah. What would be really cool is if we saw Cap choose to go back, but choose to go back to live prior to the serum. And so that oh. if, if he and oh. Peggy could live like, because that would be another it's sort of sense of death, right? It's like, I'm no longer the person who I was. I'm now going back and taking on. Like, that's a very selfless choice to be like, I'll be the scrawny guy. Yeah. But to see yeah. then Peggy embrace him for who he is would be pretty amazing too so that would be cool because if you look at the first movie she was intrigued by him before the super serum soldier already right like yeah yeah she may not have been like check out this guy but (laughs) she was impressed by his personality at least absolutely yeah 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 it's possible yeah that would be awesome well i mean we've seen some little glimpses of some stuff that's coming from avengers 4 and it certainly seems like there's time travel in it to some degree i mean there has to be yeah. There has to be just to get yeah. Captain Marvel in there. So yeah, totally. So yeah. you know, maybe Steve could make a choice that doesn't allow him to return back exactly to, back to the future, and, and that would be his sacrifice. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, man, no DeLoreans, so not this time. Yeah. Right, right. <laughs> but I agree with you, Helen. I want to be surprised, and I think so far I have been. I mean, mm. I think Infinity War surprised me in a lot of ways. Like, um, yeah. you guys talked about on on your podcast. Like, you th- you all thought that the final infinity stone was going to be in wakanda and i thought that too but they gave us a curveball there yeah and, really did and and i think those guys i think marcus and mcfeely and the russo brothers they can surprise us yeah and true. i can't wait to see how that happens i am yeah i, I can't i can't cope with this whole year thing between <laughs> i know it's so long <laughs> so long oh <laughs> uh, but at least we'll get some more you know we'll get ant-man and the wasp we'll get captain marvel and Maybe they'll at least give us more pieces of the story until we get the Exactly. They will. So, yeah. So that's Thank exciting. Goodness. Well, guys, that's all the questions I have. Is there anything else that you want to throw out about Steve Rogers that you just haven't had the chance to say yet as we wrap up? I mean, I feel like we've been pretty exhaustive except for just not talking enough about the beard. But um... <laughs> <laughs> The beard is but, pretty... I, I love that moment in the movie too. Like, uh, oh, you got a new haircut. Oh, you stole my beard. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and also his response to Groot. I am Steve Rogers. Yeah, that was the best. I love that. Adorable. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> yep. yeah. No, so I just, good. I, I just, I love that. I love that he exists, and I love this incarnation of Captain America. I wasn't a big reader of Captain America in the comics. I, obviously, I'd read some. Um, so this is my Captain America, and um, for sure. And I just think he's magnificent. Yeah, they Me do. Too. They do handle it so well. It's, yeah. it's amazing the way they handle him. Yeah, yeah. I think he's. I mean, I, I, obviously, I've said before, my favorite movie of all time is The Dark Knight, but I think Steve, I think Chris Evans as Steve Rogers is my favorite movie superhero. Mm. Oh. 
Cool. That's fair. Yeah. yeah. I will go that far. Anything else you wanted to throw out there, Jay? I don't think so. No. I just have a lot of fun doing the character breakdown. So yeah. it's always fun <laughs> to dive into it and see where it leads you. For sure. Well, Helen, thank you so much. Thanks Absolute for coming pleasure. And thank to you. Us. Um, why don't you just real quick throw out, let everybody know where they can find Empire, let everybody know where they can find what you're doing. Well, um, Empire Magazine is on sale in the States, but as it's an import, I apologize now for the price, uh, but you can find it in all good <laughs> Barnes and Nobles. Uh, it's also in the App Store, I believe. And uh, the Empire Podcast comes out weekly uh, again. Uh, you can find it wherever you find podcasts and SoundCloud and Apple and so on. And um, we also do spoiler specials and interview specials when the occasion calls for it. Um, otherwise, I write for gosh, random people, and I always forget to promote my own stuff, but I'm on Twitter. I'm on Helen Helen L. O'Hara on Twitter, and uh, occasionally I remember to post links there. So. <laughs> awesome. And I will say, uh, yeah, Empire Magazine's 10 bucks here in the States, but it's worth it. It's pretty much the only magazine that I buy. So Well, That's I mean, cool. I think that, but I just didn't want to say that, you know. I'll <laughs> say it. I'm totally willing to say it. But it, it is honestly, and it's, it's put together by a great bunch of movie geeks who are just as passionate about this stuff and yeah i i was on staff there for 11 years i'm night editor at large and it, it is just my go-to i love it yeah it's fantastic um and then you guys listening thanks for tuning in if you enjoyed today's show or any of our podcasts please be sure and share them with your friends uh links to everything that we've talked about today will be in the show notes and um like we mentioned before don't forget to head over to patreon and check out some of the exclusive content that we've got over there for you guys and you can find everything we're doing at thestorygeeks.com. That's right. And as always, question everything in your favorite geek stories. And always seek the truth. <laughs>